Welcome to a special episode of the Divorce Tribe podcast, the Halloween episode. My name is Luke Mydell, and I created this weekly podcast to provide support and healing as you navigate the daily trials that accompany divorce. I have been where you are, I have walked that lonely road, and I'm hoping to share what I've learned and what I am still learning through others. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Welcome to episode 14, the Halloween episode, Fear and Fun. This week we will be discussing overcoming fear in divorce. Fear of an uncertain future, fear of judgment from others, fear of change, fear of being alone. But we're also going to have some fun. I'm going to share some stories from both before my marriage and during my marriage, and then a fun story that my grandpa experienced with her dearly departed grandmother. My goal this episode is to help you realize that fear is a normal response to change in divorce, but it is also something that we can learn to overcome. And ultimately, we can learn to thrive and turn those fears into freedoms. But before we delve into that, it's time for story time, where I discuss the current book I'm reading. The latest book I'm reading is titled Getting Past Your Breakup. I've shared a little from it in past episodes, but in this episode, I'll share a personal story from the author the first time she goes to a therapist. This is after she kicks out her abusive husband, and then she feels like she has made a horrible mistake in doing that. Isn't that strange how we sometimes feel that way? Something is better for us, something is obviously a good decision, but we can't see it when we're so close. So she goes to this therapist, she just is weeping and wailing and saying how she had made such a horrible mistake. And then, quote, she said, matter-of-factly, that what she saw before her was a person with no self-worth and no self-esteem. Not low self-esteem, but no self-esteem. I told her I didn't care about my self-esteem. I just wanted my marriage back. Recounting how much I wanted the separation, but then how I caved in and everything was now wrong, I howled, Tell me what to do! For a moment she was silent. Then she leaned forward and said, This reaction sounds like fear of abandonment. Fear of abandonment. I had never heard those words before. But instinctively, I knew that fear of abandonment summed up everything that had been wrong my whole life. And if there was a term for my condition, perhaps there was also a cure for it. End quote. This one therapy visit was the start of a long journey of healing and self-discovery for the author. And it started with her first hearing that term, fear of abandonment. So what is fear of abandonment and why is it so prevalent in divorces? Healthline.com defines it as, quote, the overwhelming worry that people close to you will leave. It can be deeply rooted in a traumatic experience you had as a child or a distressing relationship in adulthood. If you fear abandonment, it can be almost impossible to maintain healthy relationships. This paralyzing fear can lead you to wall yourself off to avoid getting hurt, or you might be inadvertently sabotaging relationships. So after reading that definition, it's easy to see why it's so prevalent in divorce. 
i.e. deeply rooted in a distressing relationship in adulthood. Many, if not most, divorces are deeply distressing and result from deeply distressing relationships. And it's easy for me to personally see how I've become more walled off during dating to avoid getting hurt. It's that fear of abandonment. But fear of abandonment isn't the only fear we'll be talking about today. We'll also be talking about fear of change and an uncertain future, fear of judgment, fear of being alone. Now, this is deep, intense material, but I also want to make today's episode a little lighthearted because we are starting the holiday season with Halloween, the time of year when we celebrate fear to a point. So to continue today's episode, I'm going to diverge from the topic of divorce and tell you a story that was passed on to me from my mother, which was passed on to her from my Grandpa Warren. I guess I should say my great-grandpa Warren. My great-grandpa Warren lived in a small farming town in northern Utah, and when he was a little boy, his grandma passed away. Well, one afternoon, he was sleeping in the living room on the Davenport, which is a type of couch. I actually had to ask my mom what it was. And as he was laying there, he had this strange feeling. So he opened his eyes and he looked down the hall. And walking toward him down the hall was his dearly departed grandmother, just coming slowly. Now, if I saw my grandma walking down the hall towards me, I would smile, I would laugh, I would give her a big hug. But as a child, I'm not sure what I would do. I remember going to the nursery home to visit grandparents and just having that smell, that antiseptic smell, that uh, smell that I associated with the old folks home. And so it was a little frightening. And I know that as a kid, if I saw them, it would freak me out. Now, what my grandpa Warren, my great grandpa Warren decided to do was this. You get the hell out of here, he said. And what happened? Well, his grandma left. So we react to fear in different ways. In my grandpa Warren's case, he reacted by telling his grandma to get the hell out of there. If my kids saw my grandma McBride walking down the hall towards them, they would also probably react with fear and either run away or start screaming bloody murder. Fear is interesting. It's an emotion caused by something we either perceive as a threat or something that could cause us pain or death. When I was growing up, my family would spend a week in the spring in Zion National Park. We'd go on hikes, we went camping, and we just enjoyed what was, at least at the time, the rural beauty of the small town just outside the park. One of our yearly traditions was to hike Angel's Landing which is beautiful, but it is treacherous. It takes you high up on the cliffs of Zion National Park. In fact, there are parts of the hike near the top where chains are bolted into the cliff face and where you have basically certain death drop-offs on each side of the trail. At the top, you can walk to the edge and look down. As you do this, that fear can well up inside of you, knowing that you are feet away from a possible death. And in my brother Nate's case, it was pretty dang close. My parents decided one year that we were going to hike Angel's Landing, which we did. But as we were getting close to the top, there was ice and snow covering the trail. 
This wasn't when we were in high school. This was when we were probably in junior high with my younger brothers in elementary school and my youngest brother probably not even school age. Well, as we were waiting on this one ledge, my brother Nate started slipping and sliding along the ice to the edge of the cliff. I don't remember where my parents were, but they obviously didn't see this or they have struck it from their memory because they can't remember it. But all of us do remember it. Luckily, there was a stranger that happened to grab my brother before he went off the edge of the cliff. It was shortly after, on another ledge, closer to the top, that my parents decided, you know what, this isn't worth it, this is too scary, and we ended up hiking back down. That was a scary trip. We have since had beautiful trips, but you still feel that fear as you look over the edge, knowing that people die every year on this hike, and that you're only feet away from that. We perceive that potential fall as a threat and something that could cause us pain or death. And when I brought my kids up there, the fear isn't the threat of me falling off. It's the threat of my kids falling off. This type of fear is different from the fears that we typically face in divorce. On the cliffs of Zion National Park, the threat is immediate. When we get a divorce, the threat is an amorphous idea that builds inside of us. And unlike the cliff's edge, we can't just back up a few feet and have that fear subside. Like the author's fear of abandonment, it's not something that just rose up one day. It's a feeling born out of traumatic experience. And in some cases, the traumatic experience of divorce, where the person we love deeply abandoned us. Or at least that's how our mind can perceive it, even if that's not always the case. Because of this, people develop unhealthy habits in future relationships. It can manifest as jealousy, mistrust, losing too much of ourselves to the relationship, or even just having a constant feeling of unease. We fear experiencing that same level of abandonment that we experienced in divorce. Now, treating fear of abandonment is really the same as treating any of the emotional trauma that you experience when you're going through divorce. The pain, the anger, the sadness. To overcome it, it requires more than just walking away from the thing that's causing you fear. It involves working with a therapist to figure out what's at the root of that fear. And then we replace those negative thoughts with positive thoughts. It also involves leaning on strong members of your divorce tribe, that support group that will help you back to a positive mindset and grow your strengths and your own confidence. Now that's the first fear. What about the second? Closely tied to fear of abandonment is the fear of being alone. It's similar to fear of abandonment, but it's not exactly the same. For many of us, we have been married most, if not all, of our adult lives. And all of a sudden, we're thrust into a world that we didn't necessarily want, where we have nights and some weekends all alone. For some of us, it's more than weekends. It's weeks or even months. I'm one of the lucky ones that gets to see his kids almost every single day. I think the most I go without seeing them is two days. 
Now, don't get me wrong, I've learned to thrive and enjoy these moments of solitude by myself. It's really funny how divorce does that to you. I, at the same time, have so much less time. I'm so much more busy than I was before, but I have these chunks of time every other weekend where I am alone and I'm enjoying it. That wasn't the case when I first divorced. That first night that I helped my ex move out of the house and into her new apartment and set up my kids to have a fun sleepover in her living room, I drove home in tears. I drove home to an empty house. For the first time in over 15 years, I was single without the person I thought had been my best friend. It's so tough at the beginning to heal from that loneliness. At first, I turned to numbing it. I constantly had noise on in the background. More often than not, it was a TV show playing because it tended to drown out the loneliness more than music. But as time went on, I replaced the TV and wallowing at home with more healthy options. I joined a couple meetup groups. I went hiking. I called one of my brothers and we talked about dating and all the crap that goes along with that. I signed up for a community pottery class. Now, I had taken pottery throughout high school and college, and it felt great to just get my hands dirty and get back to creating new things. I love pottery. I love the ability to take this ball of clay and then mold it into something beautiful and strong. In addition, I signed up for a triathlon with my brother. I had done triathlons before I was divorced, but I really needed a push to get back into them. So I did the same one this year, um, and I didn't train for it as well. It was a long slog, but, you know, it was good. And it's always good to get outside of your comfort zone. Now, all of these things help me combat my loneliness. It's normal to be scared of being alone. It's such a big change. But in this case, you need to give yourself time to heal. Give yourself time to grow and excel rather than jumping into a relationship that might have the same issues that your marriage or your past relationship had. Now, what shouldn't you do? What shouldn't you do that I ended up doing? Well, in the spirit of Halloween, I've always had a fascination with those serial killer documentaries on Netflix, and then true crime podcasts as well. If you're going to have the TV on in the background when you're trying to battle your fear of being alone... Do not listen to documentaries on Ted Bundy or The Night Stalker or any serial killers for that matter besides the Scranton Strangler, Toby Flenderson. Anything else, save it until you're with friends. Save it until you're in a better place emotionally. Save it until every sound you hear at night isn't transformed into someone prying open your window. While entertaining, they're just not a good idea at the beginning. So... Let's take a break from the podcast. Let's move on to the next story for this Halloween week. So, the first house that uh, I actually bought as a married couple with my ex-wife was a small two-bedroom house that was built in the 40s. It was on a broad street with towering trees that had been there since the neighborhood was first built. The house itself had beautiful hardwood floors upstairs, and they creaked when you walked over them and one of those steep, long staircases at the back corner of the house in the kitchen that led downstairs to a family room. It also had a small bathroom, the room with the washer and dryer, and it was a beautiful house. I regret selling it, 
but it was also a little creepy. It reminded me of my grandma Tucker's old home with just these steep stairs descending into the dark maw of hell. I remember as a kid just looking down and just knowing that there were killers waiting down there if I decided to head down. Now for those of you who know me well, I love a hot bath during the winter. I get freezing cold so I fill up the tub and just soak in the heat and the steam. It's one of my favorite ways to get warm. Well, in our upstairs bathroom at this house, we had a small window that was about level with my head when I was standing up. And as I was soaking in this tub for the first time one night, I looked up as the steam rose from the tub and condensed on this small window. And there in the middle of this small window was the outline of a long, thin footprint. I was so intrigued that I actually stood up and got a closer look. And it was unmistakable. Somehow a footprint was in the middle of the window, a window that was much too high for anyone to get a foot up there. Now, I laughed it off, but as the days went by, I noticed other things in the house. Chapstick would roll off the dresser and along the hardwood floor when we were sitting in bed. Footsteps would creak along the upstairs hardwood floors while we were downstairs in the family room, and my son would have conversations with someone in his room while he was alone. We shrugged all these things off as the benefits of living in an old home and regular toddler behavior. Until the night my wife got sick. Now, it wasn't anything more than a cold, but it completely clogged up her sinuses to the point that it sounded like two chainsaws were battling it out for supremacy of her navel cavity. So, to get some sleep, I grabbed my pillow and I headed downstairs to sleep on the family room floor. I had fallen asleep when I woke up to the sounds of footsteps upstairs walking around the house. They were just creaking along the hardwood floor. I immediately thought, it's my wife. She's getting up to use the restroom or get a drink or something. And I thought nothing of it. And then the stairwell behind me was illuminated at the top by someone turning on the kitchen light. Once again, I thought nothing of it. Must be my wife getting a drink of water. So I closed my eyes to try to get back to sleep. But as I was laying there, I heard footsteps coming down the stairs to the family room. Kept my eyes closed, thinking it was my wife coming to see what I was doing downstairs. And then I felt two hands, one on each side of my shoulder, fingers touching the front and thumb touching the back of my shoulder, grasping tightly. As I sat there with my eyes closed, I immediately thought, what is she doing? I thought my wife was grabbing my shoulders. But then I noticed something about the hands. They had long, thin, and bony fingers with long fingernails at the end. And my wife had short fingers without fingernails at the time. With this realization, I froze. I was paralyzed. I could not move. I could not open my eyes. I could barely breathe because it was coming in short gasps. As I sat there paralyzed, the hands slowly lifted off my shoulders, and I was eventually able to open my eyes and look back over my shoulder. The kitchen light upstairs wasn't on, there was no one there, and as I have done since I was a little kid, I grabbed my pillow and sprinted upstairs like a demon was nipping at my heels. I went straight to my bedroom. And my wife was still there, unmoved, snoring peacefully. Needless to say, I chose to sleep next to the chainsaws the rest of the night, 
rather than heading back downstairs. And the story is not over yet, but I'll get to that later. Let's move on to the next fear that comes with divorce. Fear of change and an uncertain future. Divorce is probably one of the main events in our lives, right up there with death of a loved one, that results in extreme change and an unknown future. When someone you love dies, there's fear of what the future will bring. How can I afford to live now that there isn't that income coming in? What am I going to do? The same fear exists with divorce. How can I afford to live? Will I have to leave my house? If so, where am I going to live? What will happen to my children? How will they cope with the struggles of divorce? Will I be able to see them as much as I do now? How will my retirement be impacted by this change? Will I ever recover financially from this? All of these things are scary to think of, and they are all valid fears. If we look back to the definition of fear that I shared earlier, these are looming threats in our life that could cause pain. Maybe not the pain of falling off a cliff in Zion National Park, but the emotional pain of not seeing your kids as much, the fear of how the divorce will impact their future, the fear that you'll have to work the rest of your life to actually retire. Like everything associated with your divorce, I'd write these fears down, put them in your divorce journal, share your fears with close friends, and then silence that derogatory inner voice that tells you you aren't good enough and that you're not going to make it. My therapist taught me a trick when this negative voice pops up in my mind. She has me view that fearful, sad, lonely person as if I was viewing one of my best friends going through the same painful experience. Would I look at my best friend with the same negative view that I sometimes look at myself? Would I tell my best friend to get the hell over it and stop worrying about something that happened long ago? Absolutely not. I would comfort them. I'd provide a listening ear and I'd be there for them when they need it. I'd give them a hug. I'd tell them that everything would be all right and that it would just take time to get to where you can heal. Here's the other thing about change. Divorce is a disruptive event. And in technology, disruptive events are positive. In industry, disruptive events are positive. They strain the status quo of industry. They cause massive leaps forward in innovation. The internet was a disruptive technology that has forced brick-and-mortar stores to reevaluate how they do business. That has caused new disruptive companies to enter the market. Uber and other ride-sharing apps have completely disrupted the taxi business, and it has made it easier for consumers to find transportation with the touch of a screen. Other examples are smartphones, transcatheter heart valves. All of these technologies are extreme changes that can be extremely positive motivators for businesses. And like these disruptive technologies, divorce is a disruptive event that causes us to reevaluate our lives. And that change is scary. It's like someone has grasped us by the shoulders in the middle of the night. And when we turn around, no one is there. When we look at the fear of change as an opportunity to conquer that fear and become stronger, become more resilient, it helps build confidence and strength within us. Look at the things you're fearing. Look at the things you have overcome in your past. Look at yourself from the outside and evaluate those fears and how you will overcome them. In the words of Winnie the Pooh, 
You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Now before we move on to the last fear that we'll talk about today, I will finish the story of my old haunted house. So after this experience with the long, thin, bony fingers grasping my shoulders, I was asleep in my bed upstairs with my wife next to me when I had a really strange feeling wake me up. Now this was months later, it wasn't like the same night or that same week. The feeling was strange enough that I opened my eyes. Now as I was laying on my left side, facing off the side of the bed with my wife at my back, when I opened my eyes I saw a figure standing at the side of the bed a few feet away. This figure was facing away from me and wearing a long white dress, almost like a muumuu. It was an older lady with her hair up in short, bushy white curls. As I watched her, her head slowly turned until she was looking at me over her left shoulder out of the corner of her eye, and then she slowly disappeared. We moved a few months after that, not because of these experiences, but because our family was growing and we wanted a house with more bedrooms. And since then, over six years later, nothing like that has happened at our new house. Chapstick stays on the counters, old ladies stay in their own houses. Yes, my daughter has conversations in her bedroom, but they are usually with Pokemon or her other stuffed animals. Now, both of these last two stories actually happened to me. Were they actual ghosts that haunted that old house? Or was it my semi-asleep state, the thought I was awake, that dreamt these apparitions in such reality that I couldn't differentiate between dream and reality? That's for you to decide. Are you a skeptic? Or are you a believer? Now, this, believe it or not, is one of those fun memories of my marriage that I don't want to get rid of. I have many of those memories that make me who I am. They are positive experiences, like the time I sprinted outside after hearing raccoons attacking my chickens with my wife close at my heels. As I sprinted outside, I was buck naked. But it didn't matter, as it was the middle of the night, and I figured, hey, no one would be able to see me anyway. My wife, on the other hand, thinking, oh, this'll help, snapped on the outside floodlights after I had ran outside. And so there I was, in my naked glory, sprinting across the yard. It almost made me freeze in my tracks. But instead, I hunched down, and I kept going. I sprinted around the corner, I scared that dang raccoon out of the coop and onto the roof of my house. Do I want to forget that? No. It makes me who I am. And it takes me back to a happier time. Don't be afraid of all your past memories. They make you a part of who you are. Now the last fear we'll talk about today is the fear of judgment from others. What will my friends think when they find out I'm getting divorced? Will they think I'm a failure? What will the people at church think when they see me sitting on the back row without my kids? What will my Facebook friends think when I change my status to divorced or single and looking a mingle? Before I was getting a divorce and we were having trouble in the marriage, I announced on Facebook that we would be combining Facebook accounts because of some of the stuff I had found. I, I didn't say that. One friend, a great guy, real funny, said, Oh, did your wife find all the conversations you were having with other ladies? I made some joke about it back, and then we went on our merry way. But I was worried about what people would think, even still. 
And things did change. When you're part of a married couple at church, you have that in common with probably 95% of the people you go to church with. And all of a sudden, you're a single man. Single men are creeps. There's a reason you're divorced. You didn't have enough faith to hold your marriage together. You were selfish in getting a divorce. You must have cheated. Did you hear so-and-so got a divorce? Whoa, what happened? I don't know, but that's crazy, right? So you already feel like a failure. You don't want to feel like others think the same thing, especially when you worked harder than ever to keep the marriage together. And guess what? I did feel judged at times. I felt judged when someone at church would ask where my wife was and I had to answer that I was divorced. I felt judged when there was an awkward silence, followed by a swift exit and nary a word from that person since. But the funny thing is, I didn't really care. And most of the other people didn't care either. They were just as kind, just as loving. My worries about being judged by friends? Non-existent. While most friends have moved on far enough away that we rarely get together, they were still supportive of me. And then, my brothers are still close, and they have to be my friends even though I'm divorced. That's kind of what they have to do, at least in our family, and we are good friends. This is the thing about others who judge you. It has nothing to do with you, and you shouldn't care a smidgen about what they think. When I look back at the life I was living before my divorce of the misery I went through those last few years, the trials, the struggles, sitting with my kids in a dark church lobby while we each cried. When I look back at how miserable my life had become, I can look at my life now and rejoice. I can rejoice in being alone. I can rejoice in being in such a better emotional and mental state than I was before. Yes, I still regret the hardships that this has been for my children. No, I don't think divorce was the right choice for them to live their best life. But after gaining distance for myself from a bad situation, I am feeling more like myself each month, each year. And hopefully, I'll be able to come out of this stronger than I ever was before. I no longer fear being judged. Now, let me return to my experience every time I hike Angel's Landing in Zion National Park. As I look over the edge and feel that anxiety, that fear, I also feel exhilaration. With that fear comes the intense emotions of seeing the beautiful red cliffs surrounding me, offset by the lush green of the river valley through which the Virgin River still flows. It's continuing to carve deeper and deeper into the southern Utah landscape. Those are such different emotions and feelings that you experience at the same time. Without that fear, without conquering that fear, you wouldn't be able to experience the extreme joy and that spirituality that comes looking over such beauty. We can conquer fear in our lives. We can become better. And when that fear seems overwhelming, we can lean on others and on God for support. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Remember Susan Elliott, the author of Getting Past Your Breakup, who was so distraught when she first visited a therapist. Eventually she found healing. Quote, I learned how to have friends, interests, and hobbies. 
as I spent time by myself discovering what I liked and what I didn't like, I was able to find my voice in relationships. The more I worked on myself and became healthier, the healthier the people in my life became. The better I treated myself, the better I was treated. As my self-confidence grew, I met people who were loving and there for me when they said they would be. Along the way, I decided what would have once been unthinkable, that I would rather be alone than accept the unacceptable from anyone. Never again would I give up all that I am for a relationship. I was not willing to be ignored, called names, or remain low on the priority list. I was not willing to accept unacceptable behavior just to keep someone around. For years, I had been afraid that no one would love me. Now I was sure that I would get what I settled for. So I would not settle for less than I deserved. I was slowly coming to believe that I deserved the best. End quote. Now, next week, we're going to talk about a topic that is both scary and exciting. We're going to talk about dating after divorce. Yep, next week's episode is 50 First Dates. And there will be other podcast episodes that go beyond those 50 First Dates. But for now, we're just going to stick with the basics. So if you have any insights into this topic, send me an email, message me on Instagram, and have a happy Halloween. Enjoy spending time with your loved ones, with your children, if you have them. Enjoy scaring the crap out of your neighborhood kids. Thank you for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please like and subscribe. Leave a review and share it with others who could use support and healing. Visit thedivorcetribe.com for more resources to help you through your divorce. And follow me at The Divorce Tribe on Instagram to be notified when new episodes and content are released. Remember, you are not alone. We are part of the same tribe, The Divorce Tribe. Until next time.